Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Oh, welcome once again to Behind the Bastards, the only podcast where the host regularly says that his show is cash money. Um, I'm I'm Robert Evans, here to talk with you about bad people. Sophie Lichterman seems very unhappy, which is not cash no, I money just, of her. I just have extreme secondhand embarrassment. Well, that's too bad, Sophie, because I'm bringing it back. <laughs> as, bringing back I, the phrase. As, as you know... Everything you do reflects on me for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> I know, I know, and you're getting and a that bunch is of weird not very cash money people. of you, Robert. <laughs> I think it's extremely cash money of me. But here to be the tie-breaking vote is James Stout. Now, James, Yay. you're British, right. so so the phrase yep. "cash money" may not mean much to you. In 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 your language, I would say it's drawings of an elderly man. Uh, who's never worked a day in his life? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, it is now. It is now. Yeah. Cash money has very little value when it's mm-hmm. tied to the life expectancy of an inbred old person with sausage fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought of a bunch of different ways of of d- describing the new bills with with King Charles on them. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wanted to make a reference to the weird sexts that got leaked of him and Camilla. Oh yeah, I made I made an ethical decision oh. that even the king yeah. of England deserves to have his sex be private. I just like don't need nobody you, needs you don't need ill. that. Okay, <laughs> just ill. But it, you don't want to think about him sneaking outside and what was it like getting his pajamas dirty and having his valet clean them? Yeah, that yeah. and his he's got some. He's got a very specific kink. Um, oh, he's a kink. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah. Sir. Yeah. Oh. As well as well as William. Yeah. Okay. This kinky is, little. This is kink murdering his first wife. 
allegedly. No, it's oh! it's 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 a tampon thing. Um, oh. he talks about it at like, oh. yeah, Weird twist. yeah, okay, right. yeah, not, not not expected. Not yeah, we right. uh, we know far too much about what Charles has been sending yeah. to Noah. Um, a heartbreaking amount, I would say. Don't don't Google it. Yeah, Look, yeah, I'm so telling you the truth, but don't Google this. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, On my yeah. iHeart laptop. Anyway, so I just broke my <laughs> promise right there, not to not to laugh at the King of England's sexual escapades. James, yeah. how do you feel about cigarettes? Oh, uh, I think uh, that's idea. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, kind of <laughs> ambiguous, I guess. Uh, you yeah. know. They, uh, a lot of a lot of bad things happen because people like to smoke cigarettes. Uh, a lot of people like to get really, really uh, up in other people's business about smoking cigarettes. So it's, it's a difficult one. I, I I have the same difficulty because on one hand, I'm kind of constitutionally anti-prohibition. Like I don't mm-hmm. think things should be legal or illegal. I don't think the government should stop people from doing stuff just because it's bad for their health. Um, and I also see cultural value to an extent in cigarettes. I've had some memorable, there's, I, I tend to, I tend to believe that every single drug, even the ones that we call bad drugs has a, an ideal use case where it is a, is a societal good for the drug Mm -hmm. to be available. And for cigarettes, that good is when someone has just tried to kill you. There's a, there's nothing like a cigarette. (laughs) Someone's just tried to kill or hurt you. (laughs) Which is why they're so valuable outside a British nightclub. Yeah, exactly. one in the morning. Because you never know when a bottle's coming for your fucking nope, temple there. Yeah, you, you don't. Yeah. That's it. Um, you know, it, it, I, I, but I get it. Like, it's one of those things. The, there was a need for a period of time where we attacked and demonized particularly the tobacco industry because they lied to everybody about the health risks of cigarettes in a way that yeah. that caused that cost more lives maybe than all of the wars in the last century. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of an unbelievable yeah. body count. Yeah. Um that said, I think today people throw down too much against smokers and, and maybe there's maybe maybe we shouldn't be quite so shitty to people who just happen to smoke cigarettes. But what I wanted to talk about this week is fucking the history of cigarettes, because as I dug into this, I was initially planning just to do an episode on big tobacco and how they um, hid the health harms of cigarettes. And we will do those episodes. We're going to talk about that some in these. We will do dedicated episodes on those. But as I got into the research, I, I was continually amazed by the extent to which cigarettes are responsible for most of like the things that we consider the modern world. Like, it's, like the cigarette, the the in order to get people to smoke, the tobacco industry had to invent modern civilization. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's a fascinating story, and I just want to talk about it. It's one of those we're getting behind a bastard at this point. You know, when we're talking about the 1800s up through like the middle of the 20th century, you're not a bad person for necessarily for trying to get people to smoke because if it's 1905. Number one, cigarettes, not a massive risk above like walking outside your door. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's true. Yeah. But also you just don't have good data. So, yeah. Yeah. The ambient level of smoking is pretty high just from existing in any urban area yeah. at that time. Just, so, yeah. just from being around. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a bit. But first, we have to do some prehistory. Now, 
We don't know exactly when the first human beings started smoking uh, or otherwise ingesting tobacco for the first time because there's a good chance the earliest tobacco users were not smoking it. Um, but we're broadly speaking, I, I mean, and, and there's debate about this too, but archaeologists can confirm that by at latest the first century BC, the Maya people of Central America were using tobacco as a part of their religious rituals. Um, and they were both smoking it and like inhaling it uh, in kind of a similar way to snuff, right? You can, okay. you can snort tobacco if it's ground, yeah. ground finely enough. They probably also chewed it. Uh, there were a couple of different devices they had for smoking it, and we don't ex- we, we we will never know which was like the first, right? Like we just know which ones we kind of have written records of earliest. Yeah. But a lot of those written records come from Europeans, so obviously that's a long time after they would have started using them. Um, but and it, it, and again, there's even some debate as to like, well, were the Maya the first people who were cultivating tobacco? And and probably the answer to that is no. But we certainly know the Maya were cultivating tobacco in the first century BC. And it spread from Central America to the Mississippi Valley and beyond and was quickly adopted by neighboring peoples from like 400 to 700 AD is when you see most most of this spread. And it makes it all the way out to the fucking Caribbean. Oh, yeah. That's where Columbus runs into it at first, right? That is exactly the next thing that happens in this episode, okay. James. Christopher goddamn Columbus becomes the first European to encounter tobacco, which was being smoked by the natives of Hispaniola, which is modern-day Haiti in the Dominican Republic, via a weird two-pronged nose pipe. So they would they would smoke okay. it, but they would, like, inhale it through this pipe so that, that, like... Like a, yeah. a nose snorkel kind of situation. Yeah, like it looks a, nose- a little bit... It looks a little bit like a cannula. Okay. Yeah, okay. like a nasal cannula. Interesting. Um, I made, for my book, A Brief History of Vice, I recreated these pipes as best I could. I wound up actually using the stock of, dry, like, the dried stock of marijuana plants because it's hollow, and so I just had to kind okay. of find Y-bins that were the right shape. Um, that's obviously, I don't think, what they would have used. I don't know what they plant they would have used for it, yeah. but you do get pretty fucked up uh, <laughs> when you smoke raw nicotina rustica through uh, directly into your mucous membrane. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that one being pretty rough on the old like, sinuses as well. I, I would not. It's it's one of those things you have to divorce kind of your thinking about tobacco in this period from modern day because it's not, number one, most people smoking it, this is not a habitual thing for them. It's a ritual thing for them, right? Right. There are people, certainly by the time Columbus hits Hispaniola, who seem to just do it recreationally. But for the most part, most people's encounters with tobacco is probably in like a very um, – uh, kind of fairly strict ritual sense. Uh, and and also, it, it, it's pretty uncommon to have like a habit. It, even the people who would be heavy smokers, I doubt are smoking more than the equivalent of a couple of cigarettes in a day. Um, right. In part because yeah. it's kind of hard to when you're smoking it that <laughs> yeah, way. Yes. <laughs> right, yeah. There's a lot of work that I imagine goes into producing a nose cigarette from growing the tobacco, drying it out. and Yeah. Well, yeah. That's production. a lot of work. And you also, you can't smoke just when you, when you want to fix because you don't have lighters, you don't have matches, Mm -hmm. right? Like fire, obviously the people who are living, you know, in these places are a lot better at starting fires than most people in the modern world are, but it's still not nearly as easy, right? Like you're not going to just make (laughs) a fire because you want like a fucking smoke (laughs) in the, like, yeah. Get Um, a fire drill out, get a piece of wood out. 
rub it up into it yet. So again, smoking, even when it's not like for a religious purpose, it's probably broadly like, okay, it's meal time and we'll smoke after the meal, right? Or okay, like yeah. we'll smoke before the, because we've, we've got the fire going or it's nighttime, yeah. we're cooling down, we've got the fire going, you know, now we can smoke tonight. Um, like generally that's probably how it would have gone. Uh, when Columbus winds up, you know, meeting these people in 1492 and watching them smoke, they actually hand him tobacco and he doesn't know what to do with it until <laughs> he watches them smoke it. Yeah. Um, and he sees, he encounters a couple of different methods. He sees the nose pipes. He also sees people wrapping tobacco leaves with corn husks, which is probably the first cigarettes in oh, history. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, it's also worth noting that over in Cuba, people would wrap their tobacco in tobacco leaves. So they were, again, like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, smoking cigars in Cuba. Yeah. Like, that actually goes back really fucking far. Uh, it, probably more than a thousand years people have been smoking something broadly similar to a cigar in, in that That's particular That's pretty cool. Yeah. It is kind of neat, right? Yeah, I, I enjoy it, yeah. Yeah, there are many things that we consume. I guess, you know, sometimes we eat fruits and vegetables and stuff, but yeah. it's not much that we consume that people consumed a thousand years ago. And made in a pretty similar fashion, right? Like, uh, I've been to a Cuban cigar factory. Lots of them are still, like, yeah. rolled by hand. We're going to talk about that a lot in these episodes. But, yeah, they they obviously different techniques have become popular over time. And they, you get better at it the way you get at anything. I'm sure <laughs> modern cigars are much tighter and, you know, yeah. together better than cigars in 1492 did. But broadly speaking, like, part, I mean... Like I, I'm a cigar smoker. I tend to think Cuban cigars are are the best. Um, yeah. I like to. Yeah, it's rather tragic that the cultural inheritance of that today is like guys who think that they should enjoy yeah. cigars. The entire think, Republican Party. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like Ben yeah. Shapiro and friends pretending to perform masculinity and then like going off to cough and be sick. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bummer. They are. I you know I'm not a. I I tend to like. I, I've tried to read a cigar aficionado magazine once and it had too many, it had too many made up words. They use words and it's not like, like liquor, you know, number one, liquor actually does like, Oh, sometimes you get a bourbon and like, Oh, this has, this almost tastes more like a coffee or there's like this, this one's sweeter right. and it's got this like rich body fucking like I, cigars are, are smooth or not, but like, I don't know. I'll read them and they'll be like, Oh, and when you on the, on the retro hail, you get this like taste of orange <laughs> and juniper. And I'm like, no, you fucking don't. There's no yeah. juniper in this fucking cigar. What is wrong with you people? Uh, Go to hell. <laughs> It's one of the negative um, impacts of tobacco it, consumption. Uh, it's un uh, unreal. The most pretentious thing that yes. you can that you can do is be a cigar aficionado. C cigar um, guy, yeah, uh, unreal. Just just smoke. Just kill yourself slowly. It's fine. <laughs> um, anyway, that's kind of cute. Cool that Cubans have been making cigars yep. for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, now there were like as I said. The, the way that people most often use tobacco in the Americas was in religious rites. And when I, I'm taught, they're not just like smoking to get that kind of little buzz you get from tobacco. The way in which most of these indigenous groups would have used tobacco was as a psychotropic, right? Like they are like basically tripping on this stuff. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Tobacco can be, can cause hallucinations in high enough doses. 
um, it's a it's a powerful mind altering drug when you are taking like massive quantities. Yeah, of it. And, and and they were number one. The tobacco they're smoking is different than the tobacco that we cultivate. It's a lot stronger, and the way they're doing it is different. So one of the most common ways that people would take tobacco in a ritual setting is is the chief or kind of religious. Uh, there's a bunch of different terms for local sort of religious and political leaders and whatnot. Yeah. But that dude would inhale a bunch of smoke straight up raw from like a burning like hunk of tobacco and then he would basically shotgun it into the mouths of oh, the, wow. the people participating in it um okay and obviously you're getting a lot of smoke that way like you're gonna get yeah. pretty messed yeah. up by it yeah. um and it's again it, you know it, it's as silly as this is probably not all that bad for you when you consider everything people are doing in a thousand ad or whatever right like if you if a couple of times a year you're you're shotgunning some tobacco that's not yeah. gonna be what kills you yeah, your life expectancy isn't long enough for that to be the thing that kills you in most cases, right? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, one of the other thousand things that's going to kill you that we've eliminated now is going to kill you. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that there were a number of health uses of tobacco. It was probably the first effective um, insect repellent. One of the most common oh, yeah. uses of it was to just rub it all over your skin because tobacco is coated mm -hmm. in an oil. Like that is bugs don't it kills bugs like they don't they oh, don't like it. Um, there, I mean, obviously there are specific bugs that do feed on tobacco, but for the most part, it mm. keeps insects away. So people would rub it yeah. on themselves, um, that or they would also bathe in the smoke before like going in and hunting in the bush and stuff in mm -hmm. order to keep bugs off of them. Yeah. Uh, it could work as a tranquilizer. It was used to help put people to sleep. Uh, one of the things that I tried for my book was mixing it with uh, urine and garlic in order to create uh, an emetic and like a constipation remedy and it does work for yeah. that uh i don't it's recommend no. following that up but <laughs> yeah. it, it does it does do what it says yeah. it there was it also so there were a number of, of uses for Native Americans of tobacco that absolutely work in a medical context. There were also some that did not. Uh, for example, it was often given to people as a treatment for asthma. Tobacco does not help with asthma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it might do the opposite of helping. You in fact. don't say. Uh, I should. That's great. But I that's not. Yeah, that's oh, not sorry. a thing that went away. Like, uh, just you know, that's we're not like that historically uh, separated from people smoking to clear the lungs, right? Exactly. And it's also some of the time, a lot of the times when these indigenous people would have been taking tobacco to clear up their asthma, it might not have been smoked as often as it was like taken as a tea. Um, okay. And this can also be toxic. People die. One of the things like ayahuasca ceremonies are very famous in the West now. One of the things that some yes. groups do in their ceremonies is they precede the ayahuasca with a tobacco tea. And there's a couple of cases of people dying in ayahuasca ceremonies. Now, I don't know if that's because the tea is just always dangerous or because these specific folks that were doing it were kind of like grifters and didn't know what they were doing right. and weren't actually yeah. doing it the traditional way. I'm, I'm not sure if that, that information exists yeah. properly. But this is another way people would take it as a tea, which don't. Don't take tobacco. It's actually pretty easy to kill yourself by ingesting tobacco. <laughs> Please don't do that. Yeah. Um, I know every now and again, like a pet will eat a bunch of cigarettes. Yeah. And, uh, it'll yeah, kill the good. shit out of you. It's extremely yeah. deadly, tobacco. Yeah. Um, but, you know, interesting plant. So the Portuguese were the first Europeans to begin cultivating tobacco for export to Europe. In 1564, a Royal Navy captain brought the leaf to Ingoland, and despite early opposition from people who considered it a filthy, foul drug for foreigners, it took off there <laughs> like wildfire. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I just love that. Like the immediate British or English response was just like to start with xenophobia and then move along from there and work out if this well, drug is going to become a pitchal part of all of our lives. And in Europe, in the UK, the story with tobacco is similar to the story with coffee, and that a bunch of like weirdo Christians are like, "This is a heathen drug; we shouldn't do it." And then some king will like pick up a cigarette or drink some coffee and be like, "Hell yeah, this shit's actually pretty dope." <laughs> you know what? I think we're fine with tobacco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah in and coffee's case, it was literally the Pope being like, "Oh, this stuff rules." You know what? I'm just gonna baptize it. Just gonna mm-hmm. baptize coffee. Now Christians can have it. <laughs> then God changed his mind, just like yeah. that. Yeah, um, omnipotent being, omnipotent being, amazing stuff. Uh, it would be, I, I would give a lot of kudos to the Pope if he just baptized marijuana so that Catholics mm-hmm. could sue the federal government <laughs> yes. for restricting it. Yeah. Just imagining him doing fentanyl. Like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> the Pope blesses fentanyl to protect the kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, he's dropped it in the font. And it's God says weird. this shit's rad. Yeah. <laughs> two babies are going to have a rough one now. Put some fentanyl in the baptismal font. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you're going to want to give them some Narcan. They're not going to have a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's why we call it the Narthax because outside. of all the Narcan. That was a. Yep. That was a church joke for you, you kids. Anyway, uh, yeah, it, you, it, yeah. So the English start smoking tobacco. Uh, it gets cultivated in the Jamestown settlement in the 17th century, and by the 1730s, the English colonies in Virginia had tobacco factories that were manufacturing significant quantities of the stuff, mostly as snuff, which was either inhaled or chewed. That is the predominant way to consume tobacco in the kind of the early period of colonization of the Americas. Um, was it like, yeah. a, cause you see pictures of them sometimes and they got the, the old timey pipe, right? The, the long pipe with the little bowl. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah. Is that like a class thing? Is that like a, I can afford to, to have a pipe and you all can S- chew it. Some of it's class cigars are, are generally like more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, snuff is very cheap. The other thing though, is that again, not easy to get access to stuff to light a pipe or to light oh, yeah. a cigar. So if you're smoking a pipe or a cigar, you're probably in your home, right? So, you know, the beginning of the day or the end of the day or maybe yeah. in like the midday for a meal, you could have a smoke. But it's not convenient. You can't just light a pipe when you're out in the field because right. like you don't just have a thing that's on fire with you at all times. <laughs> um, but yeah. you can take snuff any time of day. So yeah, and, it makes and it's addictive. Yeah, yep. yeah, extremely. And, and it's, it's yeah, and it's and it's incredibly addictive. Yeah. Uh, so all of the colonizing powers competed for a share of the emerging global tobacco market, and again, it's incredibly addictive. So there's enough interest very quickly to spur rapid innovation in the field. In 1843, a French company, given a monopoly over tobacco by King Louis the Fourteenth, starts manufacturing the very first close to modern cigarettes. Now, people had been smoking. Again, yeah. when Columbus lines up, they see people like wrapping shit in corn cobs. Yeah. Those are like, for for a couple of centuries, that's how you smoke a cigarette. You get a corn cob. Sometimes you get like old paper, like newspaper, like just kind of whatever papery thing you can, yeah. fill it with tobacco and smoke it, you know? Yeah. And, and it's- then- uh-huh. The French invent Gouas and it have never changed. Yeah. <laughs> the French invent Gouas, which are which are still the worst cigarettes on the market. Yeah. Um, They're still smoking something close to modern cigarettes today. Yeah, that was those were the most common cigarettes we smoked in Syria. And it was like the Gouas that you couldn't sell in France because the tobacco <laughs> was too low grade. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Oh God. What a horrible cigarette. Yeah, but it just yeah. It's 
yeah, everywhere. I just have a lot of memories of like bike racing uh, in France and, and having to go in to sign on to these races. And like you walk in and you just like, it's like uh, like they used to do in nightclubs with the smoke machine, you know, just like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you are also old enough to experience like smoking inside in bars, which isn't a thing anymore. And you go and you come out and you're like, oh, that was good for me. And then you see the guy who is inevitably going to kick your ass in the race or it's after the race and the guy who's just won the race is having a fucking cigarette. And like, it just, I remember it being one of the most demoralizing experiences. <laughs> yeah. He's a it's hero a- to the pharmaceutical industry is what he is. Really. <clears throat> Look, kids, if you want to know what it's like to walk around in a world where people smoke indoors constantly and in all places, there's an option. Fly to Serbia. Belgrade will <laughs> Belgrade will teach you what the seventies was like. <laughs> yeah, more ways than one. Yeah, in a, yeah, in a number of ways, yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. learn about the seventies in yeah. Belgrade. You want to see some banging haircuts? Go to Belgrade. Oh man! Oh, the tracksuits there yeah. are unreal. Mm-hmm. I well, uh, theirs are coming back. That's uh, there's that's on a cycle again. When we're talking about what actually is like. A, a, a culturally beautiful use for cigarettes, squatting in a field with your buddies in a tracksuit and smoke. God, it's incredible. Yeah, so um, yeah, cultural experience. Burning through a pack of of, of uh, knockoff Marlboros that have two extra <laughs> E's in them. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have the L, it's just a Marlboro. <laughs> you know what? You know who else sells discount cigarettes? Is it Sophie? Is, is that what her sign Sophie is? does. Sophie, if you meet Sophie behind the main gym building after lunch or mm-hmm. after classes let out, she's yeah. always got a couple of extra packs on hand and she'll sell you Lucy's. What What grade am I in? What school? No. Why am I out of school? Yeah. What, what Normal age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't like this association. <laughs> yeah. And one, yeah, she's still going there every day. It's weird. Well, that's, weird. That, we yeah. don't have, we can't fund our podcast just, just without remember, selling new cigarettes do, to children. For some reason also <laughs> reflects on you. Yeah, we've asked you to stop, but here we are. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest, Sophie. Let's, let, let's be honest with ourselves. If, if I were to get caught selling loose cigarettes to children behind a high school, it would only increase my popularity. <laughs> it would do nothing. <laughs> Uncancelable. I'm Don't. trying to get, I'm trying to get them off the jewels. Oh my God. <laughs> Robert Fountain's anti-vaping action. <laughs> yeah. I've got a Joe Camel tattoo on my chest. Oh my God. Let's, let's, let's just go to ads. Oh, hopefully yeah, hopefully yeah, it's yeah, for yeah. gold. Yeah. I'm going to spend this whole episode trying not to say what is a homophobic slur in this country, by the way. (laughs) The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. 
big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. We're back, uh, and and James is is discussing how difficult it is to talk about cigarettes as a British person without saying something that's offensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's a word that we use in Britain for cigarettes that American people use to be horrible to gay people, and I'm not going to use it. Uh, but it's very difficult for me, so I'm holding it. Is, it, in. it is. Now, it doesn't. Not. I mean, I think the slur comes from the the harmless term. Uh, which also, if you read J.R.R. Yeah. Tolkien, you will see that word used constantly in its original oh, yeah. meaning. <laughs> and it, it is a little bit off-putting <laughs> yeah. sometimes. But the, the people I grew up with, like certainly where my grandmother lived, right, in rural Devon, was very... Like, people still use the, thou, thy. Uh, wow. like, like the, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that word would be used to describe like a small... It's a type of food, right? There's a food that, that oh, uses yeah. that word. But also like a small bundle of hay. Or yeah, it's a bundle of sticks or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Any package like of anything, get yeah. get one. You could call it your Amazon word. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's been us talking about a word language. Word it's, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, um, all yeah. So in the fourteenth or Louis the fourteenth gives the first French company a monopoly over tobacco production, and they start manufacturing cigarettes, which all have to be hand rolled at this point. But this is the first time that like a company is selling people cigarettes pretty much the first time that a company is selling, like a large company is trying to make cigarettes into like a major business. Prior to this, if you bought cigarettes, most people who smoked cigarettes were like poor people and you would just, you would have a bag of tobacco and you'd wrap it in shit, right? Um, or, you know, rolling papers even aren't aren't a thing that you can just go out and get. Uh, the other way you would get it is you would go to a tobacconist who has someone roll them and you would buy them. Um Cigarettes were generally, because of this, the least favored method of tobacco consumption. They were seen as the thing that, like, homeless people smoked. 
uh, because m- the most common way to smoke cigarettes was to like go outside of a place where people with more money had been hanging out, like a bar, oh. and pick, pick up the cigar the cigar butts and yep. like then roll them into yeah. a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, really, nearly came out then, man. <laughs> the worst <laughs> smoke I can imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, it rough. That rough. is bleak. Yeah, yeah. But my God, that guy, I, the only person today who could smoke on the level of a smoker back then would be maybe Rudy Giuliani. Um, <laughs> who all, all, you got to give him. He's one of these weirdos. So cigars, you don't inhale a cigar unless you're a specific kind of cigar smoker who believes that everyone yeah. else is wrong by not inhaling their cigars. Yeah. I forget what they call themselves, but Rudy is one of them. He's an inhaler. Yeah. He, he takes it all in, baby. Yeah. I think cancer is just uh, repudiated by him. It, it, yeah. he's, it refuses nah, to anywhere near that, him. That's going to be bad for the cancer brand, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do get that, messed, mixed up with Giuliani. <laughs> so uh, cigarettes start to get popular with Europeans during our right after the Crimean War when soldiers, you know, who return because the Crimean War is a lot of it's in uh, areas kind of abutting in around Turkey. Um, and so they encounter Turkish cigarettes and the Turks have been smoking cigarettes and making cigarettes for, for a, a bit longer. Um, and they decide they like them. Uh, Turkish tobacco is, is good and it's milder than the stuff that they had had access to. In 1856, one veteran of the war opens London's first cigarette factory, which is called Sweet Threes. He is joined a few years later by another English entrepreneur who creates the second major cigarette factory in London. And this guy's name is Philip Morris. Oh, uh, wow. So, yeah, that's where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, there he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> there he is, old Philip <laughs> Morris. Yeah. <laughs> a man with a body count that would rival fucking yeah. Hitler. Uh, so, at this point, all cigarettes are still rolled by hand. Most are still sold by small retailers. But then the Civil War happens in the United States. And right after the Civil War, things start to change. And I'm going to quote now from a write up in the Journal of Antiques. Seeing an opportunity in the emerging market for cigarettes, tobacco man F.S. Kinney began cigarette production in New York City, as well as a factory in Richmond, Virginia, turning out brands with names like Full Dress, Sweet Caporal, Kinney's Straight Cut, and Sportsman's Caporal, using similar blends. (laughs) Kinney's chief competitor in the New York market was Goodwin & Company, which sold nationally advertised cigarettes with folksy-sounding brand names, such as Old Judge, Canvas Black, and Welcome. Firms became known as the big six of the cigarette industry by the 1870s, as they gained control of 75% of national sales. There were, of course, hundreds of smaller cigarette firms operating out of backroom shops in most major northern cities, but their distribution capabilities were usually very limited. I love old cigarette brand names. I would would smoke Old Judge. I think I'd have been an Old Judge man. Um, Well, there was one that was particularly great. Was one of them called Old Black? Uh, no, there's old judge canvas back and welcome. Oh, back. Ah, okay. I thought it was canvas black, like what it would do, do to the old lungs. But, uh, yeah. Welcome. I think I just smoke a welcome cigarette. Smoke seems, a welcome. Yeah. yeah. Like you get one on your pillow when you go into a hotel room. That's the kind of vibe it has. Yeah. Reminds me. me of that, that old Bill Hicks bit when he's like, I'm love that they, they put the warning labels on the cigarettes. Let's me know which ones to avoid. I'm not going <laughs> to buy the lung cancer cigarettes. Low birth <laughs> weights though. Give me one of them. <laughs> <laughs> 
so tobacco obviously is bad for you. Uh, it caused problems for people because it's never good for you to smoke or especially on a regular basis as people are increasingly doing in this period. But the harms are still minimal and, and they're pretty much impossible to see on a wide basis, right? Very few people are able to smoke regularly f- throughout the day for one thing. Uh, for another thing, you know, there's, there's not good matches. The ones that people do have matches in this period, but they're phosphorus based and they're incredibly yeah. dangerous. It's like carrying a flashbang in your pocket. <laughs> I see no issue with that. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I just want to just want to whip off a, a rod of phosphorus next <laughs> yeah, to my shirt. Just, <laughs> great. Is it like literally like like white phosphorus? Like, it just, um, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's like white phosphorus, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like a phosphorus. Just, like sh- you you grind up a bunch of phosphorus and then you strike it. I think amazing. Um, it's just it's imagine someone like great. falling over and then just yeah, going, yeah. going up like and, an incendiary. And, and of course, your beard oil and hair oil is all alcohol and petroleum based. Your shirt has been oh. washed in pure <laughs> gasoline, yeah. so you just catch immediately yeah. on fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cigarettes will kill you, but not in the way you're expecting. Yeah, this is the period in which like spontaneous human combustion starts to be a thing, and it's because everything is flammable and <laughs> yeah, everybody's amazing. carrying around firebombs in their pockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, as, as much as we joke about it, heart. It's it, if you were to tell someone cigarettes are bad. Like, that's pretty obvious if you're hanging out with someone today who is a smoker, because smokers cough, right? And, yeah. like, you know, you joke about it if you're a smoker, like, yeah, you know, it's fucking killing me, whatever, smoke my cigarette. Yeah. It's not hard to be, like, put two and two together, like, oh, this is bad for me. It wouldn't have been as obvious back then. For one thing, yeah, smokers cough, but also, you know who else coughs? is people <laughs> who live in dense cities where the main method of transportation is horses, and so there yeah. are... Okay, so New York City, the most famous style of houses in New York City, they have these big, tall porches, right? That are like okay. four or five or six feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. Those big porches that New York and other East Coast cities have exist because there would be so much shit in the main streets that when it <sighs> rained, there would be rivers of feces and rotting carcasses of animals <laughs> rush, and you didn't want it to get into your bed, like your house. So, so you could just sit there and watch the turds floating by. <laughs> If somebody, if people are walking around coughing and looking sick, your first guess isn't going to be, it's probably those cigarettes. Yeah, I did it too. <laughs> what a place. Yes. What a town. It really was a nightmare to be alive. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm that, surprised at the species we made it past that. It's, it's striking. But you don't have to make it very long to produce a bunch of kids and then leave them fatherless. Yeah, yeah it's true. As you float off down the shit river. Yeah. Let's just throw your co- corpse in the shit river and (laughs) the cycle continues yeah it's a circle of life Cigarettes in the 1870s were still a novelty to most smokers. Less than 2% of people who smoked used cigarettes. Again, the most common method of tobacco consumption is not even smoking at all, but it was chewing what was called plug tobacco. And it was into this world and this market that a man named James Buchanan Duke stepped in the 19 or in the 1880s. Duke had been born on December 23rd, 1856 near Durham, North Carolina, and his father was the owner of a small tobacco company, which was eventually named W. W. Duke and Sons Company, or W. Duke Sons and Company. Duke watched in 1873 as a powerful depression hit the United States and temporarily cigarettes swelled in popularity because the urban poor could afford cigarettes, right? Um, so that was, you know, uh, when they started to take off. And he, he looks at this, being an intelligent capitalist, he's like, 
we're probably going to continue to have horrible economic crashes because it seems like the system is designed to do this every like five to ten years. So I bet cigarettes have a have a bright future ahead of them <laughs> if I can find a way Amazing. to make them cheaper. Um, yeah. People started smoking them more in times of depression. So they didn't yeah. have food and they wanted to not be hungry. They wanted to not be hungry. It's also just like one of the few things you can afford, period, if you're poor, is a cigarette because they're they're cheap. They're cheaper than food in a lot of cases. Yeah. They're certainly the cheapest method of getting tobacco. They're cheaper than drinking. It's just like it's a little comfort that you can have if you're a fucking tramp living on the street yeah. in the 1870s because there's there's not a whole lot of other things for you. But the, but the cigarette is there. <laughs> <laughs> the working man's friend, isn't it? It is the working man. Look, again, if you're on the street in the 1870s, the yeah, health yeah. risks of a cigarette yeah. are the least of your yeah, concerns. Yeah. You might get concussed by a floating turd. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's the shit rivers, the main problem you've yeah. got to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> you, d- d- drowning in a river of horse shit just, uh, yeah I'd be smoking whatever I, I, I could of course, of like, course. You know, if they'd invented crack I'd be on that too <laughs> yeah you want to get out of that situation as quickly as possible yeah absolutely yeah so, fentanyl would have been a, a godsend oh, absolutely so Duke at this point in time his brothers and his father were like locked into this vicious competition with Bull Durham Tobacco which was run by a guy named W.T. Blackwell and was like the big tobacco producer of the day Duke saw this as a pointless fight because they were fighting over plug tobacco. He knew that the future of the industry was not in plug tobacco. It was in producing something convenient and cheap for urban poor people. In 1882, his company had just 10 cigarette rollers on the line. And these are individual people. Cigarettes are made like cigars by random, by just like people who know how to do it. Uh, The first thing he did was add 50 more rollers, which still put him well behind the Allen and Ginter factory up in Richmond, which employed 450 female cigarette rollers. But when a New York City cigarette factory went on strike, Duke convinced 125 of their workers to move down to Durham in 1883, offering to pay their moving expenses and giving them the highest wages in the industry. This was a good deal for these people for a while, but if you know anything about capitalists, you know, Duke has no desire to create well-paying jobs for laborers. These people are a stopgap. He's thinking like Uber here, right? I want to corner the market and then find a way to get the human beings out of it, to replace them with machines. Um, now he's not, how's that that working for Uber? Uh, it, it works a lot better for cigarettes than it does for Uber. (laughs) Turns out this is actually a pretty reasonable (laughs) business plan for cigarettes. Both of them will kill you. Both the self-driving cars and the cigarettes. Again, the self-driving cars will do it faster. Yeah. The cigarettes will do it a little more ethically though. Mm -hmm. So... He was in the his goal was again he wanted to make, he wants to make the most profitable tobacco company in the world and the way to do that is to rat fuck your laborers. Uh, for now though he needed them and by 1885 he had about 700 hand rollers in two factories. Most of these are again young women. This is reasonably well paying work for young women. Um, he's got a you know quality control team that checks the the work so they're they're trying to put out like as uniform a product as possible, but that's not really easy to do. And everyone in the industry making cigarettes knows it's kind of slowly expanding and they know that we can make these a lot cheaper and a lot more profitable for us if we can replace the human beings with machine rollers. So a couple of companies actually put out a bounty in order to produce a a machine roller and I'm going to quote what comes next from that write-up from the Journal of Antiques. 
A young man named James Bosnack approached Duke with a cigarette-making machine he had invented. The young inventor had previously gone to the now Big Four companies, but had been turned down because his machine was prone to breakdowns. Plus, there was a belief that consumers would never accept a machine-made cigarette. Duke put top mechanics to work, ironing out the bugs in the Bonzac machine, and signed a deal with the inventor. During his first year of production, using his team of imported hand rollers, Duke turned out 9.8 million cigarettes. In contrast, using the Bonsack machines enabled him to produce 744 million cigarettes Ooh. in 1888. So, 1881, 9.8 million cigarettes. He gets the Bonsack machine, 744 million. Jesus. That is he... a, sig- a significant yeah, increase yeah. in production. That right there is a turning point. Uh-huh. That's going to change a few things. So he's making a lot of cigarettes now, which is great. Um, he's able to make them half as expensive as they were before. Um, and he's able to, like, number one, sell them for cheaper and also uh, make a lot more it. profit for, per cigarette. But there's a problem, which is that only about 2% of Americans who smoke smoke cigarettes. And so the fact that he's making 730 million more cigarettes per year means that he's got a lot of cigarettes he can't sell because there's just not that many smokers out there. Um, so this is a this is a problem for old Duke. Uh, and Duke realizes that like if he's going to make this thing profitable, what he's going to have to do is create demand for cigarettes. He's going to have to convince Americans that they actually want not just to smoke cigarettes, but to smoke a shitload of them. Because one of the things that becomes clear is like, well, I, I, we went from 9.8 million to 744 million for nothing. We could make billions of these a year. This wouldn't be a problem at all. We just need that many smokers to exist. So that's a difficult task, right? Old Duke is going to need to actually like create a, a hunger for billions of cigarettes in the world <laughs> in order to make this yeah. pay off. And that's exactly what he does next. Um, Great. Yeah. Yeah. So wonderful world of tobacco marketing. Yes. Uh, it's that, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're building towards here. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that happens when Duke starts manufacturing his cigarettes is that suddenly no corporation can afford to sell cigarettes without rolling them on a Bonsack machine. It just is is so much more efficient. Right. And because Duke had helped fix the Bonsack machines, he owns part of the patent right. effectively. So one of the ways he's making money is that everyone who's making cigarettes is giving money to Duke. Um, he also, one of the things he does that's smart is in order to kind of Everyone's worried, okay, are people not going to want to smoke cigarettes that are rolled by machine? Uh, Duke starts bragging that his cigarettes are machine rolled. He puts it on the packages as like a way of like, just what if we just try to convince people that machine rolled is better than hand rolled? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's cleaner. It's more hygienic. It's more modern, right? Yeah. Uh, all of which is technically true. Now, next, I want to quote from a book called The Cigarette Century by Alan Brandt. By 1884, while his competitors were still hesitating, Duke had installed two Bonsack machines in his Durham factory. A year later, after experimenting to improve the machine's performance, Duke signed a secret contract in which he agreed that he would produce all his cigarettes with the Bonsack machine. In return, Bonsack reduced Duke's royalties to 20 cents per thousand. Duke and Bonsack soon reached a further agreement, guaranteeing Duke a 25% discount on royalties against all other manufacturers. Also, Duke shrewdly hired one of Bonsack's disgruntled mechanics, William Thomas O'Brien, to operate his machine. 
machines, assuring fewer breakdowns than his competition. By June 1886, O'Brien was meticulously maintaining ten machines. Duke placed a heavy emphasis on efficiency and continuous production. The lessons he learned in developing the mass production of cigarettes he would soon apply more broadly to industrial organization. By becoming Bonzac's premier customer, Duke secured essential control over its technology and turned Bonzac's patent into a powerful competitive advantage. It was increasingly common for inventors to relinquish their patents to corporations. Duke understood that control of the Bonzac patent, through his secret discounted licensing agreement, was a critical lever in dominating the cigarette trade. His deal with Bonzac reflected an important change in the character of the patent system, from a legal mechanism protecting independent inventors to one that would protect large and powerful corporations. Duke is what he's done here is invent the modern usage of patents by yeah. corporations for corporate advantage, right? Yeah. Like everyone who is who like every business leader who follows in any kind of industry is going to copy him. Yeah. yeah, man, that might be one of the things that's killed more people than cigarettes, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? Like Yeah, yeah. Cause a, a lot of medical patents and stuff like yeah. works on the same fucking idea, you know? Yeah. Nearly every uh nearly every drug is patented. And of course, he's not trying to do anything evil with it. He just wants everyone to smoke cigarettes. Um, <laughs> perfectly, perfectly, yeah. I, mor- morally yeah. uncomplicated. Uh, ironically, uh, I just, uh, we, we talked about it on the episode of It Could Happen Here on Monday, but um, UCLA is um, pursuing an IP case in India about a, uh, a, a prostate cancer drug called Extandi. Um, which they're trying to stop a generic production, a cheaper generic production of. I'm just imagining the uh, the old handshake meme between UCLA and Duke here and giving people yeah. cancer. It's, it's the thing <laughs> that they're both <laughs> coming together on. That's beautiful. So the Bonzac machine quickly replaced human rollers who left the cigarette industry to roll cigars, which is the only form of tobacco that's going to prove immune to the corporate age that Duke is ushering in. Through the 1880s and 1890s, cigarette smoking increased and the size of a pack doubled from 10 to 20, taking advantage of how easy it was to smoke now. The first proper matchbooks invented in the early 20th century helped spur adoption. But by 1900, still less than 2% of tobacco consumers are smoking cigarettes. Now, Duke knows that his dream of selling cigarettes to the world is not going to work if he can't convince Americans that they wanted to smoke and that they wanted to smoke as a habit. So he set out to do something no one had ever really done before, which was create a market for a product using advertising. Obviously, merchants since time immemorial had advertised their wares and attempted to set themselves apart from the competition. But what Duke is doing is new. Duke is trying to convince people they want to do something they haven't done. That ha- That's not really been a thing in capitalism up to this point um, it's one thing to be like hey i'm samuel colt i've invented a better handgun like you want if you want a handgun you want a handgun uh, my job with my marketing is, con- is to convince you mine's the best right but yeah. you're not you're not convincing people well now i need a gun right like they decide they need a gun because it's the fucking 1880s or whatever <laughs> yes. uh fucking duke is like uh, these people are fine without cigarettes that's this isn't a problem there's not a need that i'm trying to serve here i have to create it um and one of the first ways he's going to do this is is really quite innovative and it, it ends in a surprising place so in the late 1880s french tradesmen had set to making stiff colorful cards to advertise their businesses these cards often often featured illustrations of women generally wearing very little clothing or sports heroes or like 
historical landmarks to make them collectible and thus give individual people a reason to keep a business card in their possession. Now, we don't know where Duke first heard about this phenomenon, but starting in the 1880s, he had a print shop installed in his Durham factory that could make color prints. At first, he printed out the standard advertisements and coupons that most businessmen used, but soon he hit upon an idea. And I'm going to quote from Duke University here. With each pack of cigarettes, a small cardboard insert was added to stiffen the box. Duke employed a little imagination and turned these simple workhorses into a powerful marketing tool by printing the brand name of the cigarettes along with a picture that was part of a larger series and which was meant to be collected. Series of birds, flags, Civil War generals, and baseball players were employed, frequently with historical or educational information on them. Photographs of actresses, women placed in a variety of poses and often rather revealing <laughs> costumes for the time, were also used on the insert cards and exceeded all expectations and their popularity among the public. <laughs> so a lot of these trading cards, and these are the first trading cards, are outright pornographic, at least by 19th century standards, and there are outcries against the practice because the, the people who want them the most are, are young boys, are kids, right? Kids start smoking to collect trading cards. That's what juvenile sm <laughs> how juvenile smoking starts yeah, in the United States. Great. Um, they want to collect baseball cards, and to do so, they have to buy packs of yeah. cigarettes. Amazing. Um, and this this works like gang. It increases cigarette sales massively. It's a really successful ad campaign. But it also leads to a wave of young cigarette addicts who are also getting into porn, which is <laughs> difficult for people to accept, busybodies uh, of the day to accept. One of those busybodies included Duke's father, who wrote this letter to his son in 1894. My dear son, I have received the enclosed letter from the Reverend, from the Reverend John C. Hokut, and am much impressed with the wisdom of his argument against circulating lascivious photographs with cigarettes, and have made up my mind to bring the matter to your attention in the interest of morality, and in the hope that you can invent a proper substitute for these pictures, which will answer your requirements as an advertisement as well as an inducement to purchase. His views are so thoroughly and plainly stated that I do not know how I can add anything, except to state that they accord with my own, and that I have always looked upon the distribution of this character of advertisement is wrong in its pernicious effects upon young men and womenhood, and therefore has not jingled with my religious impulses. Outside of the fact that we owe Christianity all the assistance we can lend it in any form, which is paramount to any other consideration, I am fully convinced that this mode of advertising will be used and greatly strengthened. The arguments against will be used and will greatly strengthen the arguments against cigarettes in the legislative halls of the states. I hope you will consider this carefully and appreciate my side of the question. It would please me very much to know that a change has been made. Duke does not make a change. <laughs> he is, he mean, is fine with it. Um, yeah. So Duke is obviously not going to turn his back on all of this money because of simple morality. Uh, instead, he publishes advertising that encourages kids to complete sets of trading cards, and he expands his advertising budget to keep a steady stream of new collectibles going out with his cigarettes. It was a stunning success. And as Alan Brandt notes, quote, This commodity-connected collecting was a lasting innovation that continues today with baseball cards and Pokemon. Duke had discovered important incentives for smoking in the cultural rituals of youth. We owe Pokemon to cigarettes amazing yeah. it's incredible yeah yeah wow Jane, yeah i'm just Im yeah. imagining buying a pack of mulberries to see if i can score a, sh a shiny charmeleon or something honestly yeah. what what about our culture wouldn't be better if like in order to get a magic the gathering deck you had to smoke yeah. three entire cartons of paul malls <laughs> ah, absolutely <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It's just, it's like the happy meal of cigarettes. It's great. It's perfect. 
<laughs> I can, just imagine like some nerdy 16 year old like lying on his side like puking as he smokes his 50th cigarette of the day I need a lightning bolt card he's <laughs> <laughs> trying to evolve his Pikachu <laughs> kid dies yeah. of smoking inhalation trying yeah. to get a Bulbasaur <laughs> I choose you lung cancer now you know what else will give you lung cancer James is it uh, the cigarettes that Sophie's selling to children behind the school? It is. It is. The cigarettes mm-hmm. that Sophie ch- sells to children mm-hmm. behind the school are very likely mm-hmm. to cause cancer. Mm-hmm. But, she knows. Uh, you know, that's the way it works. Okay. Hey, damn, lungs, Sophie. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ah, God. Aren't we living well today? What a beautiful world we have in this America that I love. How are you all? 
Sophie? <laughs> just, wow. It's been wow. a pause. I'm just, I'm just thoroughly disappointed in your actions. What else is new? Well, Sophie, you know what I'm not disappointed by is the innovative thought leaders in Big Tobacco building the modern world and inventing Pokemon. So Duke understood instinctively that children were the future of cigarettes. Established tobacco consumers had already had their preferences, like set for plug tobacco or snuff or for pipe tobacco or cigars, and these methods involved less consumption or at least pickier consumers. Cigarettes smoked quickly and more conveniently than other tobacco products, and they caused less mess. They were also more addictive, which allowed for a quick and repeatable high any time. Again, most people were chewing tobacco prior to this, so if people start smoking instead of chewing, suddenly you don't have buckets of spit all over the place. (laughs) <laughs> Again, probably a net positive. Yeah. Um, now that said, you also have like more people smoking in public places, which is a negative. But anyway, the New York Times publishes an article at the time that complains about Duke's attempt to entice boys to excessive cigarette smoking and notes, every possible device has been employed to interest the juvenile mind, notably the lithograph album. Youngsters seeking these picture books clamored for the reward of self-inflicted injury. Many a boy under 12 years is striving for the entire collection, which necessitates the consumption of nearly 12,000 cigarettes. Oh, no. Kids are, like, trying to collect these picture books and smoking 12,000 cigarettes. (laughs) That is how you catch them all. Oh, that is a rough image. Like that a is an upsetting amount of cigarettes. Yeah, that's a lot of cigarettes. That's, wow. Yeah, that is yeah. that is an outrageous quantity of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Duke hadn't just hit upon a baller way to move cigarettes. He'd effectively invict, invented the concept of collectible products as advertisements. He starts doing like sweepstakes, right, where you collect you know different things that are on the boxes mm-hmm. to turn them in if, to see if you can win like a prize. And it's yeah. He also just like gives stuff so. Basically, everything from ha- McDonald's Happy Meals and like Funko Pops to every product sweepstakes you've ever seen are all descendants of what Duke is inventing in this period, which is just like different ways to get cigarettes in kids' mouths. Um, we like all the entire toolbox of capitalism is being created. It's being created to push cigarettes to children. Of course, uh, it is. Duke changed his company's name to American Tobacco, which reflected his ambition to be the alpha and omega of tobacco sales and production in the United States. He poured unheard of amounts of money into his ad budget, soon spending nearly a quarter of the money he made on sales on ads. His competitors were forced to pour similar amounts of cash into their own efforts, igniting the first national billboard war and leading to a massive surge in the amount of visual advertising in the United States. This is what starts to fill the countryside up with ads, with like billboards and other kinds of big public ads is is duke spending all this money on cigarette ads wow so he inadvertently also gave us uh the monkey wrench gang yeah so he is he has in the space of what we've talked about so far given us like modern patent law and all of the people that get killed as a result of like medical device patents he's given us trading cards he's given us like sweepstakes and like toy collecting uh and he's given us uh uh fucking billboards and the monkey wrench gang so that's that's a lot for one guy yeah it's a make a real mixed bag 
Now, one of the things that this does, he's made it impossible, very close to impossible for new companies to get into the cigarette business. Number one, you have to be able to buy a cigarette machine to be profitable, and that costs money. Number two, you have to have a shitload of cash to, to make ads. So just like some young like upstart who wants to sell cigarettes to people isn't going to be able to get into the business unless they're backed by some serious moneyed interest because it's just too expensive to get into it. From the late 1880s, Duke sent out regular feelers to his competitors, asking if they'd be open to a buyout. Most of them turned him down, but as the 1800s drew to a close, the fortunes of Duke and his competitors, uh, the fortunes that Duke and his competitors were throwing into ads, had them all looking for a better way. They're just spending too much damn money competing with each other. In January of 1890, Duke strong-armed his fellow tobacco lords to join a consortium, the American Tobacco Company, which would seek to monopolize not just tobacco sold in the United States, but Produced as well. Overnight, the American Tobacco Company was responsible for 90% of all cigarette sales in the United States. Duke had formed a monopoly, getting his competitors to agree to fix prices and wages in order to save money on advertising and production, and to avoid the struggles for dominance that had devoured their money in recent years. This was a winning strategy, and as Duke took total control over the tobacco market, prices fell for consumers. But this also meant a lot less money for farmers, and the trust brought an end to competitive bidding for tobacco harvests. As Alan Brandt makes clear, in his single-minded quest to control the future of tobacco, Duke helped invent the modern concept of a megacorporation, blazing a trail that would be followed by every ambitious capitalist to come. Quote, Together, these three departments, Audit, which oversaw accounting and cost control, Leaf and Retail Markets, assured the movement of cured tobacco from warehouse to factory to sales. Individuals with specific expertise headed each department. The Audit Department, for example, introduced innovative accounting procedures that would later be utilized by many other industries. The success of Duke's enterprise, which became a model for other industries, rested on salaried executives who could assure the efficient functioning of their aspect of the business, as well as tight coordination with other departments and activities. In short, he invented the middle manager. Yeah, just another wonderful contribution to society. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's really just humming along here, creating oh, yeah, the modern hey, world. Yeah, he's ticking them off. Now, one of the things that you know, when you invent the middle manager, one of the things that you've done is you've created the concept that's going to make up most of the ranks of the emerging middle class, right? What what are a lot of people in the middle class? They're fucking middle managers, right? Yeah. Um, which is also a lot of the people who are going to be tobacco consumers, right? He's helping to create the basis of consumer culture here as he builds effectively, helps to like build the idea of a, a, a kind of new class structure in a lot of ways. Obviously, like middle management had existed before, but not in the kind of quantity that it had because prior to duke you've got a lot of tobacco being made and sold and you've got a different sort of tobacco companies middle managers but the companies are all much smaller and it's like this company we handle production this company like we we handle like we get the tobacco from the farmers and we process it you know we're the people who roll it and sell it directly to to the consumers he's he's rolling all of this into one giant venture and instead of the the constituent parts being made up of small business owners the constituent parts are are managed by middle managers who are operating like rungs inside of this larger corporate structure that's not he's not the first guy to do this but he's the first guy to do this and be this successful with it yeah yeah it's, it's like a vertically integrated supply chain right like exactly the, exactly yeah. uh, so that's pretty cool 
Um, Everywhere he cut out independent manufacturers and free agents, small resellers and rollers. The entire tobacco market went from an artisanal industry with strong unions to a vast factory for the production of identical machine-rolled cigarettes. The only piece of the tobacco business that successfully resisted and that maintained its high level of unionization were cigars, which for whatever reason are kind of immune to modernity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seemingly. I've just realized that this guy is like Jeff Bezos. Yeah, he's the the Bezos of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which Jeff Bezos, I'm sure, would love to be the Bezos of cigarettes along with being yeah. Bezos of almost everything else. If could. It's, a, it's a great thing to be the Bezos of. Mm. Um, so kudos to cigars for being... Yeah, respect. R- yeah, respect to, to the cigar industry for fighting <laughs> back against this. Um, yeah. But obviously, Duke barely notices that like he's you know losing out on this chunk of the business. Uh, he tells his board that, quote, the world is now our market for our product. And in 1902, he sets upon the goal of getting the world to start adopting cigarettes. He signs a deal with his largest foreign rival, the UK's Imperial Tobacco, and they form the British American Sorry. Tobacco Corporation. Of course, that's what the British one's called. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they do a, they're doing a tobacco imperialism, right? They're going yeah. out with a goal of convincing people, nations who had never smoked, to smoke now. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Goodman, the author of Tobacco and History, notes, To him, every cigarette was the same. All of the globalization that we are now familiar with through McDonald's and Starbucks, all of that was preceded by Duke and the cigarette. So not only is he getting people hooked on cigarettes, he's getting them hooked on the idea of this is a product that comes under a specific brand and everyone in the world consumes the same product the same way, right? That, you know, you may, you may be, if you're a cigarette smoker in Turkey in the early 1800s and a cigarette smoker in France, a cigarette smoker in the United States, you are smoking something that was rolled down the street from you at a shop, right? And probably tobacco that was grown fairly close to you. There's a little bit of movement around that around the world. But generally speaking, you're consuming a local product because everything is pretty local. He has invented the idea that, no, 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 if you're going to be into cigarettes, you're going to smoke this specific kind of cigarette, and everyone on Earth does it the same way. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. He's like, it, yeah, he's now more or less invented, like, the global commodity, right? Yeah, yeah. This is, like, it's, yeah, it's one mean, of the very first. Yeah. Um, and probably the first, I think the first that's like an individual consumer good, right? Cause this is starting to happen with like steel right. and with fuel and stuff. Yeah. Right. But yeah. you as an individual aren't like going down to the store to pick up, you know, <laughs> some fucking petroleum or some coal generally, but you're going to go down and get a cigarette that's made by the British American company every day, whether you live in fucking Tokyo or, 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 uh, Timbuktu. Um, it hasn't spread quite that far yet, but that this is what's going to happen, right? Uh, By 1904, cigarettes had finally cracked 5% of the American market for tobacco products. That seems small, but that means it's more than doubled in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Duke saw them as the smart, smart product to push, but he'd spent several years cornering the markets on plug and pipe tobacco too. So they're selling everything. It's also worth noting that like Duke is a cigar man himself. He does not understand <laughs> why people like cigarettes. He does Perfect. not like cigarettes. He just is betting that they're going to be a big deal, yeah, right? Perfect. Um, so the before he can kind of take this idea further, though, the United States Congress starts looking into his tobacco trust, which is you know what he's made with American tobacco. He's right. formed a monopoly, and they decide it's in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, which had also been created in 1890. Now, it took the government a while to actually get to American tobacco, and by the time it starts looking into things, American tobacco controls not just 90% of the cigarette trade, but 75 to 85% of all tobacco sold in the United States. 
Duke had even recently started buying up companies who were producing licorice paste to make sweeter flavored cigarettes. So he's again Great. a fucking trailblazer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no blazing a trail in the great direction necessarily. But... Maybe not in the best direction, but you can't you can't deny yeah. the man knows what he's doing. Yeah, this is a dude who loves to make. How rich was this guy? It, like... I mean, it doesn't trans because if you if you actually translate it, it's just going to wind up being in the tens of millions, which makes yeah. it, it like effectively he's a billionaire in his day, right? right? Like he... for everything that matters, you know. Yeah, he he yeah. has he has infinite. Yeah. Dollars. <laughs> you do have to think how different would the world be if we just given him Twitter and he could have done an Elon Musk and uh, solved the war in Ukraine instead of yeah. inventing yeah. new ways to give kids cancer. This new cigarette's going to work as a boat briefly. <laughs> 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 so... Uh. This puts Duke about 20 years ahead of the invention of the first menthol cigarettes. And we're not going to talk a lot about this, but I have to let you know that menthol cigarettes are invented by a man named Lloyd Spud Hughes. <laughs> Great. Uh, very funny. Very yeah. funny name. Um, so Duke is like a generation ahead of the competition, but that's not enough to protect him from the Department of Justice, which, and this is weird, used to actually punish corporations for monopolistic behavior. <laughs> this was a thing you could get in yeah. trouble for back no way. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Robert coming out in support of the DOJ. Yeah. Well, they don't do a good job of this, so ah, I, okay. I'm not supportive, uh, but it is more yes. than they try to do today. Sure. So I, I don't know. I'm more familiar sure. with the not doing a good job part. Yeah. Well, yeah. so th during this period, the DOJ is going after the three largest businesses in the United States for monopolistic behavior. And okay. the three largest businesses Base. in the United States are Standard Oil, U.S. Steel, and American Tobacco. <laughs> so again, oh, yeah. to, uh, to understand the scale of this, the thing that he has built is as big as the oil and gas industry, yeah. right? Like it's the steel industry. It's in that ballpark. It's wild. Yeah. Impressively not great. Yeah, so Teddy yeah. Roosevelt, the trust buster, forces the DOJ uh, to <laughs> the go after trust Duke. Trust buster. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, that's what he's doing. He's busting trust. He's busting some trust. Oh. Look, just, there's a lot of funny coming out of your mouth. <laughs> there's a lot of things that we have to dislike Teddy Roosevelt for, but one <laughs> thing the man are. legitimately hated was monopolies. <laughs> And he goes after them. <laughs> there were some uh, other things that he hated. There were there were a lot of more problematic <laughs> things that Teddy yeah, Roosevelt hated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in this case, he's broadly speaking doing the right thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And and the DOJ is like, yeah, you've you've made a monopoly. This is not legal, and you have to dismantle American tobacco. Yeah. Now. This is impossible because Duke has vertically integrated it to such a degree that everyone is reliant upon the same supply and distribution chains. You can't actually split the companies back up the way they'd been 15 years before. So the DOJ, not wanting to destroy one of the three largest businesses in the U.S., exempts a bunch of their sub-businesses and their international partnerships and like allows them to maintain certain supply chains and whatnot. Right. Uh, and obviously, while this is going on, American Tobacco appeals. The Supreme Court rules against them in 1911. And eventually, they do split the trust up into five companies uh, that are technically independent competing businesses. But as the cigarette century makes clear, after all that Duke had done to weave the companies together, there can't actually be 
cut apart. Quote, the settlement was meant to assure competition among the five newly constituted companies. Each received factories, distribution and storage facilities, and name brands. But given the size and complexity of the business, there existed insuperable obstacles to the creation of perfect competitive conditions, no matter how the industry was restructured. There simply was no going back. So Duke continues to run this chunk of American tobacco. Uh, it remains in his control. British American tobacco is what remains in his control. Uh, and his fellow owners, even though they're all competing, continue to collude to fix prices in order to maximize profit. So he's it's not as bad, but he, they've gone from a monopoly to an oligopoly, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what the DOJ succeeds yeah. in actually doing. Great job, DOJ. And since his he's kind of peaked as a cigarette man, Duke moves over to the power industry. He establishes a power company what? that provides. Yeah, uh, he builds his company builds the electrical grid for North and South Carolina. Can uh, he not just stop? Like, no, he cannot. Home with the Pokemon cards. <laughs> no, apparently not. He he does when he gets old and is about to die. He gives most of his fortune, tens of millions of dollars, to Trinity College in Durham, which is renamed Duke okay. University in his honor. Oh, and that's and that's is. where we get yeah. Duke wow. University. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, great. Man, they have a good public health school now. Actually, yes, so, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they honestly a lot of the best information about the cigarette industry and all of the fucked up shit it did comes from Duke University. They have great resources for understanding tobacco oh, advertising. Fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, to to the university's credit, they don't like shy away from the. But also yeah. what look, Duke is immoral because he's a capitalist and he is profiting off of people's surplus labor in, in, in a number of ways that are unethical. There's nothing wrong with him selling cigarettes at this point because he right. has no he dies in 1925. There is no nothing that even approaches a medical consensus about cigarettes and cancer at this point. You I'm can't sure doing, blame it on him. Right. He's doing horrific shit to the people who work for him, I'm sure. Absolutely. But, like destroying yeah, yeah. unions and whatnot. And, and, and yeah. there's like a bunch that's unethical. But the fact that he's selling cigarettes is not something that yeah. I would put on his soul because, nope. you know, there's no way, no way for him to have known right. that they were harmful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1919, a U.S. surgical student named Alton Oshner was called, along with several of his peers, to observe the autopsy of a lung cancer victim. His teacher was excited to have an example of the rare illness in their operating theater. He wanted Alton and his fellow students to see <laughs> the autopsy because he believed they would not get a second chance to do so oh, <laughs> you guys dear. gotta check this out you're never gonna oh, see dear. another lung cancer nobody gets oh, this shit no. <laughs> less than 30 years later your lung cancer would be the number one cause of death in the united states as yes. robert proctor of stanford university told one interviewer the cigarette is the deadliest artifact in the history of human civilization it killed about 100 million people in the 20th century <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck me. And wow. honestly, he's probably lowballing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's before you look at, yeah, like all those sort of downstream things. Jesus Christ. That is, yeah, that that's is not very nice. quite a death toll. Like, yeah. we can that look, Duke University. We can argue about fascism and communism and the things, the, the great leap forward yeah. in Lysengoism, what, what killed the most people. But man, nobody's, nobody's touching the cigarettes numbers, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah, cigarettes out uh, here dropping three pointers every shot. <laughs> it's a goat of, yeah. of killing people. I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting Michael Tracy to like uh, mm -hmm. go recuperate the cigarettes reputation on Twitter or something. Now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so James you got anything you want to plug before we, we roll out of part uh, one I do another podcast which you do too sometimes 
world, it could happen here. I, I do listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's about how things are falling apart and people are putting them back together. It's a good podcast. It is a good uh, podcast. Yeah, I would I only, say it's one of the have, only two podcasts that should be legal. Yeah, I, yeah, fair enough. It, it's, we're doing basically what he did with cigarettes, yeah. but two podcasts. Yeah. And very slowly we're, we're stealing all the microphones. God. And uh, giving everyone cancer. And I mean, hopefully going to kill 100 million people over mm-hmm. the course of, of yeah. the century. It's on but the we'll vision see. board. It's on, yeah, see, <laughs> that's on the vision board. You. Yeah, you can see you've planned your goals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had, we do have a live show if you survive that long. It's, oh shit! What, yeah, twenty six. Yeah, it's October twenty sixth. Sophie, Sophie right? Lichterman, but I think it's on the twenty sixth of October. Yeah, yeah. That but seems there's a right. website and everything. Mm-hmm. Um. So check that shit out, motherfucker. Yep. Um. Buy tickets to the live show, and uh, yeah, look, great. I'm not going to tell you you should smoke cigarettes, but. Have you ever tried okay. the, the smooth, right. flavorful taste of a camel? It's Robert, like driving through Robert. the desert yeah, yeah, yeah. in oh early November, you know, when you've just yeah. got it that pure, dry, cold in the air. Century. Just, just, yeah, or just taken in a Marlboro Red. Oh, God, the flavor country. Robert. That's what people are missing today. Sophie, do you know how few uh, Gin Zers have <sighs> been to flavor country? That's their heritage, Sophie. That's their heritage. Stop it. Uh, All right. This is not cash money. Pick up up some cigarettes, kids. (laughs) It very much is cash money. (laughs) Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.